Hey South Africa, welcome back to the Farmers Inside Track weekend podcast. Is it just me or has the weeks just been flying by? I still can't believe it's already August. So this week we unpack some of the new regulations around the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act. Now businesses in South Africa and in particular the agricultural industry are subjected to a variety of laws that places an extra layer of responsibility on business owners when it comes to labor legislation. The Department of Employment and Labor is currently looking to introduce new regulations around the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act. This act regulates the administration of work accidents, and today we're joined by Stefan Peterson, founder and owner of Work Accident Support. Stefan, as I mentioned, the department is looking to introduce new amendments. Please give us a bit more information about this. What is it actually about and what should we know about these new amendments? Although some of these amendments are waiting for approval, actually some have been approved and in particular in importance to the farmers is the adjustment of the rates that every business in all the different classes pay towards the compensation fund annually. For the purposes of the COIT Act, the agricultural industry is divided into four different subclasses. And farmers in each subclass, depending on the kind of risk that the farmer faces on a daily basis, actually the rates have been introduced, the new rates from the 1st of March 2021, and this will be phased in over a period of five years, which is actually quite important because if a rate escalated tremendously, it's going to be very difficult for a farmer to pay that rate from the following year. So that is why the department decided they will face it in over a period of five years. And if farmers or anyone are looking to have a bit more information about it, they can always go and look on my website where there is a document available to see what the rates are. So in many instances, with regards to some of the new amendments, the Act talks about employers that may be guilty of an offence. For instance, if an accident was not reported within the prescribed period of time. So for an accident, it's seven days. And for an occupational disease, it's 14 days. But now this Act, the new amendment, is trying to aim to change this by introducing penalties for different offences. So the law does prescribe that all accidents must be reported within seven days. And if a company does not adhere to it, a penalty of 10% of the declared earnings. Now, their declared earnings is what the company is paying towards its staff for the year. And so that must be declared on an annual basis. So that penalty will be 10% of that earnings, which can be an astronomical amount. For instance, if I pay a million rand to my staff members and I don't report an accident within seven days, I can be penalized 100,000 rand for not reporting the accident within seven days. Also very important is that all information should be provided fully to the fund because what is important, the fund has to accept liability on claims and if I don't provide all the information necessary for them to do it, then it's going to delay the acceptance. So a penalty equal to the full amount of the compensation plus interest will be payable by a company. And also some other aspect is when a record of of earnings, which is also very important, if that is not kept up to date, there's a penalty involved in it. And also some other aspects. Also the law states 
If any of my employees are injured at work, it is the responsibility of the farmer or the business owner to transport that employee, that worker, to the nearest hospital to receive medical treatment. So companies will also be penalized if they don't do that. And also, one last aspect, in terms of the COIT Act, a farmer at any other company must pay the worker up to three months while being booked off duty. And if the company is not paying the salary of that person during that period, a penalty equal to double the full amount of up to three months compensation plus interest will be issued to the business owner or to the farmer. So there's definitely a lot of value in understanding the regulations and making sure that you adhere to it. Otherwise, you'll be faced with lots of penalties and having to spend a lot more at the end of the day. Stefan, unfortunately, dealing with government departments can sometimes be challenging for many individuals and in particular companies who must be compliant in terms of so many laws. What is the details around this specific law and especially dealing with government? How does that work? Well, I think there's a lot of people in the experience dealing with government who have been having challenges, specifically to farmers. I mean, as we all know, farmers are situated so far away from, from labor centers, from where they're not close to towns. And, and it's always difficult at the times for them to get near to a uh, labor center to deal with any kind of matter. So what farmers also have to deal with, what I've also been realizing recently is that many farmers were still under the impression that certain procedures had to be followed when it comes to submitting annual return of earnings. So what used to happen is that the fund, the compensation fund, would send out a document to a specific farmer. They had to complete it, post it back, and then the farmer would receive their annual account and pay it. Unfortunately, many farmers were never informed about the change of this process. And as a result, some of them have been outstanding accounts for years and then also were penalized once they received the account for the late payment of this account and for the late submission of the return of earnings. It's quite complicated at times for farmers to get the information from the Department of Labor. And also further challenges are is the fact that COVID-19 has such a huge consequence on our daily lives. And often labor centers are closed at short notice, which is understandable, but then often farmers don't hear about the fact that labor centers are closed. And also there was quite a lot of news recently in the media where many of these buildings occupied by the Department of Labor staff is in such a state of dilapidation. And often for weeks and in days, these buildings are closed and that can also have an effect on service delivery by the Department of Labor. And I think one of the major concerns is the fact that the Department of Labor introduced a new system over the last couple of years to report accidents. We understand that it is always the intention for any department or any business when they do introduce new systems. So the aim is always to improve service delivery. But unfortunately, in this instance, it had the opposite effect because many people are still struggling to have access to the system and as a result cannot produce some of their responsibilities or cannot do some of the things that they're supposed to do in terms of legislation. So there are many aspects and so many things to consider and so many hindrances 
What is your advice to farmers when they have to deal with this? You know, what is the best way to go about it, especially in terms of these unprecedented times? You just explained how difficult it is because labor departments might actually be closed on short notice. There's so many things that are happening. What is your advice to farmers at this point? The medical course, when any employee, any worker is going to see a doctor, the COI Act makes provision that medical costs are payable by the compensation fund. Now, unfortunately, in many instances, the farmer would pay these costs, which is actually not supposed to happen because these medical expenses can run into thousands and thousands of rent. So my suggestion is when, when a farmer comes across a situation like this, is rather to try to contact doctors in the specific area where the farmer is situated, just to find out if their doctor will assist the farmer when it comes to a work accident and rather refer their staff member to the specific doctor. And then always, in terms of the accident to be reported, it is just important to, for the farmer to make sure that their forms are completed as duly as possible. And then whenever they are able to get to a labor center, is to produce all the necessary forms. But then always, unfortunately, if they don't have time to do that, it is also important maybe just to have a look of maybe a third-party administrator who can assist them in dealing with all that administration. And sometimes it is rather better to make use of an expert services to assist them with any of these kind of matters. And also one important aspect, which is not really directly linked to the agricultural industry, an amendment which was changed where domestic workers, but this is more specifically on individual households. So domestic workers also are covered now in terms of the COID Act. So that means any private household where has a person to come and clean the place or a gardener who's coming to look from the outside in the garden. So those people are also now covered under this act. So it's important that households also register now with a compensation fund as a domestic employer. So these are just some of the aspects that the department is looking at. I think during the course of the year, much of this information will be published if it is going to be approved, uh, some of these amendments. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Thanks for joining us, Stephen Peterson, founder and owner of Work Accident Support. For more updates on this topic, visit foodformzanzi.co.za. Before we let you go, though, and in case you missed it, here's some of the highlights from our hashtag Farm Spaces session, this week focused on coffee farming. My name is Kukulitsu Masangu. I'm going to be your host for tonight. Today, we're going to be learning so, so much when it comes to coffee in South Africa and in Africa. And I'm really excited for our guests today to, to share more on that. I'm Tinashe Nyamudoka. I was sommelier for the last 10 years in South Africa at the test kitchen restaurant one and only hotel then i've recently left 
to concentrate on my wine brand, which is called Kumosha Wines. So I produce the wines in Cape Town, South Africa, as well as exporting to America, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Holland, Ghana, and soon the UK. And after launching the brand, I realized my maternal grandmother is from Honda Valley in the Eastern Highlands in Nyanga, and she's been growing coffee all her life. So for the last two years, I've started investing in the production and also improving the quality and in the meantime, finding markets for the coffee to sell. I'm Dylan Cumming. I'm a coffee farmer roaster. Our family started growing coffee in the early 80s down the south coast of KwaZulu-Natal. And we now both import as well as grow our own. And we're working with a number of growers within South Africa, as well as Swaziland, Malawi, and Tanzania. We work on vertical integration of coffee farmers to access markets and to improve quality. Well, my name is Hilary Chindodo. I am based in the United Kingdom. I run a brand called Changamiri Coffee, inspired by small-scale coffee farmers in the Eastern Highlands of Zimbabwe, part of where Tinashe was talking about, the Honda Valley, but mainly uh, Vumba. That's where our partner farmers are. What we're simply trying to do is to see if we can get them up the valley chain, that they can benefit from all the good things that happen downstream in the coffee valley chain. When we think about coffee, we always think about the tropical areas and regions in Africa. We don't know coffee to be grown in South Africa. So please tell us what inspired you to start coffee farming in South Africa. So it was my parents and grandparents that started farming in about 84. But at the time, there was a lot of coffee within South Africa, grown both up the north coast of KwaZulu-Natal, a small quantity down the south coast where we were, as well as in Mpumalanga, around the Sabi Valley, Hazyview area. So we weren't really the first. We were kind of the last of that era. And actually, the history of coffee and grown in South Africa goes back to the 1890s. And actually, there's a, a textbook on growing coffee in Natal that was, I think, written in 1890-something. There's kind of a myth in coffee, and the idea being that coffee needs to be on some high mountain at high altitude. And what actually we talk about altitude is we talk about temperature. And we're talking about these mild climatic conditions, kind of what they call the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold where your average temperatures are sitting between 18 and 22 degrees Celsius. Altitude has a massive impact on this, but so does latitude. So when you're near the equator, like in Tanzania and Kenya, you need to be up at a mountain. And if you ever go there, you'll see that on, you know, the coffee can only be grown on those high altitudes because of the mild climate conditions. But as you travel further north and further south, you need to get to lower altitude. So South Africa, we're blessed with a lot of areas for coffee growing. We're looking at dividing them into three kind of categories. One is ideal, where then you get suitable and then intermediate. And we have a lot of areas in South Africa that are conducive for coffee farming because of both our, our latitude and altitude on these coastal belts. There is actually a lot of potential for coffee in South Africa. Please just tell us about the coffee industry in Zim. You know, we know that coffee grows abundantly in, in Zimbabwe. How did you find that opportunity to be like, I am going to start exporting this and growing my own coffee? I think the coffee history in Zimbabwe, I'm not sure how long it dates, but it's been prevalent, especially in the Eastern Highlands, which is climatically, it's mountainous, high rainfall, high altitude. So it's been grown there. But obviously, with the land disruptions, they seem to be, have been a stop into like commercial coffee farming. But as I recall, like my grandparents, is, as a small kid, I just remember them growing coffee forever. But I think the majority of it has been 
being bought by the big guys of recent. I know Nestle is investing and buying a lot of coffee from Zim. But my interest in it just stemmed because of the wine background I had. I felt Africa in general, we're just producing these products and sometimes we don't add value to them. And with the success of my brand being South African, African, and how I was able to make it global, I just felt it's possible to do it with coffee, especially with Zim, having the suitable conditions to grow high-quality coffee. So I think it was more of a social, social responsibility because I have the grandmother growing coffee. She doesn't understand it, the market, as much as I would understand it. They just grow and sell as it is green. And I felt if I could get in, like uh, Changamire was saying, how do we add value to these people farming it? And you have to understand these smallholder farmers, generally old people, where my grandmother is growing. Or young kids are not into this coffee business. It's just old guys, old grannies, mostly grannies growing coffee. And, you know, if you travel to those areas, it's tough. It's mountainous. You know, there's no machinery there. It's these old grannies carrying bags up and down. So. For me, the motivation stemmed in how I can come in, probably as a third-generation person, and start to add value for these grannies and also, you know, advise on them how to improve on the quality, best sides, and yeah. I'm not exporting yet. I've been involved in the last three pickings, of which we've been selling the raw beans locally in Zim. But like I said, I'm more about quality. I felt when I started in, the quality wasn't where it should be. And it's a matter of inputs. It's a matter of the best side. So I see it as a long-term project where in the next maybe three to five years, we can be selling single-origin coffee from her side. Thanks, Gugu, and all the experts on our hashtag FarmSpaces session. And remember, it happens every Monday at 6 p.m. Now, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. Until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zansi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.